Welcome to the Type Pod. I'm Anitra Nottingham, former book designer, former typography teacher, former co-chair of a graphic design school. I'm now a learning experience designer, but I'm a type nerd and I always will be. I'm Jason Phillips, formerly a book designer and typography teacher. I'm a sometime illustrator and artist. In my career, I've never strayed far from type and it'll always have a place in my heart. We're whipped into shape by our producer Inga Mewburn, professor at the Australian National University and editor of the Thesis Whisperer blog. We're designers and friends who went to the same design school. Anitra failed her typography assignments, but uh, I didn't. Not to brag. No, but, uh, you know, I think you did get some HDs in some assignments, right? I did, yep. yes, for a gift certificate. There you go. <laughs> yes. We met when we worked together at Oxford University Press, which is where we honed our type skills, became friends, and developed a mutual hatred of the typeface Gaudi, all of which still burns brightly 25 years later. Each episode, we deep dive into one typeface, finding out the sometimes surprising history behind the design and the designer. We admire, or not, its anatomy and ponder its uses and cultural impact. And then we ignore all of that and talk about our feelings. Now, we're doing this episode for, let's count it, the fourth time. Something like that. Um, and our friend David, we've convinced to stay and record this <laughs> with us again. Hello, David. Please introduce Hi. Hi, I'm David Spears, former student of Anitra's. I'm a designer in Washington, D.C., a typography teacher, and I recently learned just enough type design to be dangerous. <laughs> By the way, David's been very modest. He was by far and away one of the best students I ever had <coughs> and it's a very good typographer. Thank so, you. You are most welcome. Our show outline is set in Calibri 14 over 16 point. In this episode we're talking about Times New Roman. So a transcript of this episode set in Times New Roman, which is very, very easy to do, right Jason? Oh uh, yeah. 11 <laughs> over 13 point is available to download from the show notes. Okay. Default. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we will get to that. Okay. We're going to talk about Times New Roman but we'll try and make it not as boring as Time's New Roman. Right, Anitra? Right, Jess. Let's get started. Anitra. Who designed Time's New Roman, when and why? Well, Jason and David, you can thank or blame Time's New Roman on typographer and historian of printing, Stanley Morrison. Morrison is a giant in the world of typography, but most likely you've never heard of him. The Encyclopedia Britannica, from which I surprisingly found a decent amount of information, can I just say, describes his career in glowing terms and only coyly mentions in the last line that he was a member of its board of editors. (laughs) That's just one of the many publications he contributed to. Morrison was born in 1889 and he came from what's called modest origins in Essex. He only had an elementary school education because his father left the family and he had to go to work. So he worked as a clerk for seven years and was self-educated, which he did by going to the library. Wow. Which is what one did to self-educate. This, this is sounding right, right off the bat very Dickensian, can I say? Very Dickensian, <laughs> yes. And it sounds right about right for this typeface too. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> See, I told you it was going to be interesting. All right. You got us okay, so, so far. 
So Stanley Morrison's interest in typography was sparked when he read a supplement in The Times on printing. Right. And he answered an ad in the same supplement, which was called The Imprint, and he got a job there as an assistant in 1913. So... The place where he made his most famous work, which is the Times newspaper, right. inspired him to become a typographer. Wow. And I kind of like that symmetry a lot. Yep. And also, can I just say how easy it seems to get a job as an uneducated white guy <laughs> back in the day? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Morrison learned typography from working at the imprint and then our publisher, Burns and Oates, which I always think of as oh, Paul and Oates, but Burns and Oates, <laughs> and Press, and then Cloister Press. And in 1923, he got a gig as a typographic advisor, which is a job title that I covered, honestly, yep. for the Monotype Corporation. Now, we should talk about what the Monotype Corporation is. Yes, please do. Yes. Monotype's what we call a type foundry, and in that name you can hear the echoes the material origins of typography. The work he did there was to translate old printed samples into new cuts of typefaces for machine printing. So machine printing back in the day used something called hot metal typography. (laughs) Not the same as... Not the same as heavy metal. (laughs) Not the same as heavy metal. Not the same as hot hot wheels. (laughs) Yeah. No. Well, what a typesetter would do is they'd type 90 characters, like about a line's worth of type, right. into this machine, which is called a linotype. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. It would then cast that line out of a blob of hot metal Ooh. called a slug. A bunch of slugs were arranged into lines of text on a page. So it was much quicker than doing one letter at a time on a compositing stick, which is how they used to put type together yep. in a traditional printed press. And if you ever look up linotype, which you should, look up linotype machines on Wikipedia. Yeah. There is an extensive entry with all sorts of, of those little patent kind of illustrations oh, about how the machine works. works. Yep. It's really complicated and very clock yeah. and like super cool looking. Yeah. So anyway, nerdy, but there you go. So much quicker. One page was printed. Yep. The metal was then melted down and then it was reused. So, you know, semi-sustainable-ish. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, the impurities that rose to the surface during this process is what they called dross which is still an insulting term for bad writing. Ah, yeah, I like that too. (laughs) So Times New Roman was designed to work best with this machine, although the Times used a better grade of paper, so it wasn't as good on other newspapers. (laughs) It was sort of too finely crafted, (laughs) according to Lewis Blackwell. And in 20th century type, Uh, which can I just again say, Lewis Blackwell, 20th century type, has the smallest body copy (laughs) in the history of design textbooks. (laughs) Like it, right? it's got it's got a lot of really good stuff to say, but it is a bitch to read. It's terrible, and it's a good thing I have bifocals. I wouldn't be able to read it at all. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to talk about typography, but you can't read yeah. it." Gatekeeping yeah. at its finest. It's like tiny ants marching across a page. It really is. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I digress. Yes, getting back it's to a, back to the monotype. <laughs> monotype, by the way, still exists today. Right. Yes. It's very likely that you have one of their digital typefaces on your computer right now. It was while at Monotype that Morrison commissioned a young Eric Gill to make Gill Sands. (laughs) We talked about that in another episode. We did, we did. Which you can listen to or not, trigger warning. (laughs) Morrison was also a typographic advisor to Cambridge University from 1923 to 1959, an editor of the Fluron from 1926 to 1930. Now, the Fluron was a deeply nerdy, and beautifully typeset journal of typography. Just so you all know, the name Fluron, by the way, is a technical term for floral ornaments. 
typographers use. Thank you. Thank you for supplying some some um, <laughs> much needed academic. Thank you. You're, you're sure. a, you're becoming our definition go to guy, David. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that too. We really Most people don't know what that is. Yes. So, you know. Yeah. It sounds like you know a chemical that you put in toothpaste or you know. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it does. But, but it's fluoride. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But no, it's it's flowers. Yeah, well, that's why Morrison suggested. Yep. He, he says that typography. This is quoting Morrison here. Right. Typography is very stiff and not absolutely free in the public mind from technical connotations, and the fluoron possesses just that note of historical and romantic feeling which we need to express. Isn't that lovely? Yes. Just thinking about a Beautiful. nerdy type journal in terms of romance. I love that. Okay, we just had to pause the recording because the dog had fallen asleep and we're not even all the way through the story. And we didn't want to make this one boring, right? Yeah, that's right. Right, right. She's had a bit of a nudge. She's awake now. Okay. Um, so, suffice to say that Stanley Morrison had a very storied career, lots of roles on the go at once. Yep. And I think I've established that he was a practitioner of and deeply steeped in what we like to call fine typography of the kind it's modest it's self-effacing it's beautiful it's actually hardcore typography it's the best and most classic kind of western typography you can get it's the kind of typography that postmodernist designers like david carson said terrible <laughs> things about <laughs> so <laughs> jason uh, we're a bit older than david yeah. um we grew up as designers in the postmodern age and we both love this kind of stuff now we didn't so much back then. Well, yeah, oh, no, definitely. And look, I'll confess that while David Carson was all the rage when we were at college, whenever we were strongly encouraged to emulate him in type assignments, and I mean strongly encouraged, I... Yeah, one might even say... <laughs> I always felt like a fraud. I had... I found much more of a natural affinity with someone like Beatrice Ward, who actually worked alongside Stanley Morrison. And sidebar... <laughs> I'm, I'm very disappointed in her because I found out subsequently that she was also one of Eric Gill's paramours, which has kind of cast oh, a whole nice. other, a whole other, because the three of them, the three, no. yeah, the three of them work together. No. <laughs> and I'm like, Beat, what, just- Beatrice, you could do so much better. <laughs> Than a guy it's, who it's interesting. It's interesting because I I watched a uh, a master class right. by David Carson and you know I really admire his work. But I remember he said in his one of his chats was never use smart guides. I was like, why not? I love smart guides. <laughs> <laughs> so it's weird how like I have this reaction to things that he says. It's like, no, I want to keep it neat. Yeah, though. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you, David? Never heard of That's right. Well, no, and he was all about no. Let's destroy the grid. But yeah. So yeah. anyway, Beatrice Ward. She worked alongside Stanley Morrison and Eric Gill, and she wrote a famous essay called "The Crystal Goblet." And her whole thesis was that the best typography was transparent, and she used the analogy of the plain but functional crystal glass versus the showy gold-chased goblet. So. She, she was basically defining modernism as in typography is asking not how an object should look, but what must it do? As opposed to David Carson, who just present you with a deconstructed mug. Ta-da! Try and, <laughs> and tell you not to use smart yeah, cards with it. Try and drink it. Right. Try and drink out of that <laughs> sucker. So. <laughs> All right. So Stanley Morrison, I think we've established, he's kind of like the Frank Sinatra of typography. Yeah. Right? He's an icon. Yeah. Not as famous as Frank, obvi, but every educated designer knows and respects his work, except except possibly David Carson. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) All right, well, so that's who designed Times New Roman, but why, Anitra? 
Okay, so in 1929, <laughs> Stanley Morrison joined the Times newspaper as staff, and he was there until 1960, wow. actually. So he's probably the old guy that all the young designers are like, Stanley who? And yeah. everyone's like, it's Stanley. It's the old guy in the corner Stanley office. <laughs> yeah. He designed Times New Roman as a New Roman typeface for the paper, so Times New Roman. Yep. And back to Lewis Blackwell again, which I could barely read in 20th century type. <laughs> Claims that Stanley Morrison was brought in because he'd complained about the original Times typeface as being inadequate and having a sloppy sense of typographic discipline. <laughs> and I just love that. Like, what's that even mean? You can just ish- like, issue. So you can just issue these directives, <laughs> right? and people are just going. Yeah. Just say anything. Yeah. And people will be like, "Yes, I see the lack of typographic discipline. Let's it looks change that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Slouching. <laughs> I've always thought that. Yeah. You know. So we all want it. We would Morrison. all want to be Morrison, exactly. Make those sort of, you know, broad sweeping statements that people would just jump to. Like, I've been trying to convince Inga that she should drop the register of my voice about an octave so I sound nice and deep and sexy, but she just gives me this annoyed look every time I bring it up. So, yeah, she's just shaking her head. <laughs> well, yeah. we'll just move on. This is the fourth time we've recorded this, and every time she just shakes her head. Oh, I wonder why. Okay, so let's get to it. Times New Roman is what they call a revival face of Planton which was designed by Amsterdam printer and typographer Christopher Planton in 16th century. And why they call it a revival is that thing I was talking about before. Back in the day, typefaces were bespoke things made by one print shop. There were no technical drawings, so there wasn't anything to easily reproduce the same thing. Unless you went and bought all the actual metal bits out of the out of the print shop, you couldn't get that typeface. Yep. At Monotype, Stanley would take classic typefaces and revive them for modern printing techniques. So he'd redraw them, technical drawings, and, and all that sort of stuff. And this happened when typefaces were converted to digital as well. Mm-hmm. And it's called doing a new cut of a typeface. And I kind of like this symmetry too. Like yeah. the reason that Times New Roman is so ubiquitous today is it was one of the first to be converted to digital and it comes preloaded in computers as standard. So it's always been kind of a machine age creation yeah. if you think about it. It's travelled from one machine to another. So I should more correctly say that Stanley Morrison led the project to design the new typeface at the Times. The guy who actually did all the work <laughs> and drew the letter forms was called Victor Lardent. Right. And he was That's chosen real because he, yeah, he was chosen, <laughs> get this, because he could do a lean and hard line. Oh, okay, that's, uh, that sounds wrong. One of those many <laughs> design-specific things that sound a bit rude out of context. <laughs> The first time the typeface was used in October 3rd, 1932, only got one letter of complaint when it was introduced. They didn't have Twitter back then, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there right. you go. <laughs> Interesting, there is some controversy about the origin of the story. Oh, okay. Mike Parker published some findings in 1994 that suggested the design was based on one done in 1904 by the amazingly named typographer Starling Burgess. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, no, no. no it's just, it it's just like the most amazing name out. I just think Starling Burgess. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah, that? Yeah, that is, yeah. Starling Burgess. <laughs> just, I don't know. We got obsessed with it, David. It, just... it is a pretty great name. Yeah. I, was, I was just reading it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's a. I want that name. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to change my name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't until 2007 that the Times started saying, possibly also, to the official history. The Times is probably lucky that Twitter wasn't around in 1994 as well. Yeah, I think we're all <clears throat> very lucky Twitter wasn't around in 1994. I, like, I, like... I wish it wasn't live around now. Yeah. <laughs> but I like how Times is kind of like grudgingly accepted the possibility. It's like, oh, plausible deniability here. Yeah, you know, 2007, <clears throat> all right, maybe. Pro- you prove it. 
Prove it and we'll accept it. Well, I mean, Times New Roman was designed for the Times. It wasn't designed to create an identity for the newspaper like typefaces are today, right? It was just designed mm-hmm. to be more readable and also to save space. Right. So now I've laid out Stanley Morrison's bona fides. I feel a bit bad about saying this, but this typeface is just maybe not his best yeah, work. I have to agree. Right? Its biggest sin visually is that it's narrow and I think it's a little too contrasty, but it's mm. otherwise, like, it's really... Okay, it's perfectly fine. Matthew Butterick, in his delightful typography for lawyers, which you should read because it's good, says nothing. There's nothing objectively wrong with it. It's just a workhorse. Ouch. And it gets the job done. Yeah, well, it's a solid description. Yeah. Like, the problem is really it's just the default typeface. It's very boring. Mm-hmm. It's actually designed to disappear and just carry information. So I guess job done. Stan. Yeah, it's probably the best and also the worst thing that you could say about a typeface. <laughs> you know, it's designed to disappear and just carry the information. Yeah, well, yeah. No, that's what Beatrice was like. Yeah, well, about. this is true, but yeah. still. Sometimes you got to do that, though. Sometimes type just has to be invisible. Well, this, like. yeah. absolutely. So, okay, that's the who and the why. Give us some context. What else is going on at the time, Anitra? Well, Morrison was born in 1889 and he died in 1967. Wow. So just think, oh, yeah, massive amount of technological mm. and social change that he lived through. He was born the year that the Eiffel Tower was inaugurated and he died the year that in some ways parallels 2020, right? So 19... Mm. Well, without the play. Yeah. 1967 <laughs> <laughs> was a year of massive student protests that challenged the status quo, challenged the Vietnam War. And... Uh, People were saying last year that it was similar to the Black Lives Matter movement in, 19, mm-hmm. in 2020, right? right? Yep. Like it was a mm-hmm. kind of eruption against the status quo. Admirably, Stanley Morrison was a conscientious objector. He was jailed for the duration of World War wow. I. Wow. That's pretty hardcore, yeah. you mm. know. The, in Britain, the pressure to sign up was... Yeah, the yeah. The world starts to be very recognisably modern post-war and around the time that Times New Roman was made, Art Deco was the dominant art style. Some other things that happened in 1932... A Brave New World was published. Hitler ran Love for election. Book. And later that year, the Nazis took power because he couldn't accept the results. Ooh. <laughs> <Sounds familiar. laughs> Locally in 1932, the Sydney Harbour Bridge was opened and it's the year of the Emu War, which you should totally look up because it's the only official war. Let's not count all the other horrible wars that we had before that. Yeah. Ah, yes, we made it. The genocidal ones. It's the only official war that happened on Australian soil, and it is absolutely ridiculous. You should look it up. It's very dumb. So you can see there was lots of news going on at the time. So no wonder the Times needed to cram more on each page. Well, (laughs) thank you, Anitra. You've really brought Stanley Morrison and his work to life. Not sure that you can resurrect Times New Roman, though. I tried. Okay, now for our next section, anatomy, which is where we briefly check out the body of our typeface for this episode. The body is the various bits that make up the letter form, some of which are named after body parts. For example, the horizontal bar of a capital T is an arm, so is the top horizontal stroke of a capital F. So, Anitra, what do we need to know about Time's New Roman's body? Well, like we classify plant and animal kingdoms, we have a classification system for describing type. It's called the Vox classification system. And in Time's New Roman, in the Vox classification system falls under transitional. And I read a snide comment on a Medium post about the Vox system that this category was made to explain Baskerville (laughs) long. (laughs) So we'll explain that when we get to Baskerville. Right, okay. Um, But a classification system helps you talk about something um, and compare it to other things. Yep. 
which is what we do a lot with typefaces. So Times New Roman has all the things. It has bold <coughs> italic fonts. The bold's very bold and harder to read than usual bold fonts, which is why the subheadings on your essays always look like crap. <laughs> but there wouldn't be a proper, can I just say as producer Inga here, it would not be a proper academic essay without a bold Times New Roman-centred uh, subheading. In, like, it wouldn't Inga, be academic. Them's are fighting words. <laughs> uh, I just, also centred, can we do yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> David's being very cool, calm and collected here. He, yeah. Anitra, He's smiling politely. And Anitra, Anitra and I are now. just clenching our fists. <laughs> well, you know, there's always ways around this, you know. If, if something's too bold, then you just got to give it more white space, you know. There's ways around these issues. No, nah, exactly. I know. Uh, <laughs> so getting but sometimes you have to use Times New Roman. So you know, if you have to use it, then you can work with it. Okay. Well, yes. Well, let's let's go on to talk about its body a bit more. It is a serif typeface. Serif is Latin for feet, which are the little brackety bits at the end of letter forms. But wait, we realised when we were researching <laughs> this that we got that wrong. Yeah. And I apologise to all of my students, including you, David, <laughs> because I would often say. <clears throat> It's the feet at the end of letter forms, but the actual serif bit is called a bracket. Where does the word serif come from? Okay, well, we're going to digress for a moment here and bear with us, David. We're going to talk about the big lie, which isn't on the same scale as the sort of intergalactic lizard overlord sitting around in a pizza place (laughs) and throwing... Going somewhere very dark. <laughs> Throwing ballots into the into the rivers. It's a, it's a, it's. I think it's just a conspiracy of sort of laziness because basically, you know, when you're learning about type anatomy, you're learning that okay, letter forms have things like arms and legs and ears and eyes, and you're told we were told certainly in college that serif means feet and sans serif means no feet, and that's how you distinguish different types. And you kind of think, oh, yeah, feet. Well, that fits in with all the other anatomy stuff that I'm learning about. And this is going to be the only... You just kind of have to go. Yeah, and this is the only time that I, as a designer, am going to sound like a doctor, so I should really just run with it. But, in fact, it's not. It's a great big lie. There's a bit of discussion about where serif actually comes from, but it's not from French, which I was told. It's not from Latin, which Anitra was told. The most likely candidate is actually Dutch, Schrief, which just means a stroke, which actually makes a lot more sense than feet. Mm. So there you go. We all learn something. But it is the sort of thing that you just kind of unquestioningly take on board, and Anitra and I certainly did that and passed it on to our students. So this is our opportunity to correct for the record that, yep, Seraph, nothing to do with feet. Never let it be said we don't resolve major controversies. <laughs> Thanks, David. You've been very gracious Thanks about it. <laughs> Let's get back to Times yep. Roman now. In typography for lawyers, Matthew Butterick, I think I got his name right, who would be amazing to get on the pod, talks about how Morrison recognised that Times New Roman maybe wasn't all that good looking. Right. He wrote a typographic memoir called a tally of types. And can I just say what a jolly good chaps tally who and crumpets kind of autobiography title that is. You can say that, yes. <laughs> Butterick says it's Stanley Morrison, and I'm quoting Butterick, quoting Stanley Morrison. Here. Right. So good-naturedly imagined what William Morris would have said about Times New Roman. So this is Stanley Morrison quoting William Morris. 
as a new face, it should, by the grace of God and the art of man, have been broad and open, generous and ample. Instead, by the vice of mammon and the misery of the machine, it is bigoted, narrow, mean and puritan. <laughs> wow. Which just brilliantly captures exactly what I think William Morris must have been like, like insufferable and shows why William is not on my list of historical people I'd like to take to a dinner party. But Stanley most definitely All right, is. So William Morris, great for designing wallpaper, not so great as a uh, guest of honour at your dinner. No, I just, <laughs> okay. wouldn't want to be stuck next to you and be like, oh, no, I'm next to William Morris. I mean, it's, it's great because just like artists, it's interesting how typographers' personalities show up in the work they create. Mm. I mean, that's true, absolutely. Yeah, very true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this says about Stanley Morrison, but anyway, Roderick <laughs> says that Times New Roman's italic is mediocre. Ooh which I think is understating it, because I actually think the italics... Oh, ouch. Okay. Mm. Yes, burn. <laughs> produce, produce a moment. Right. Producer. Yeah. But it, what am I going to do with the quotes from my participant as a sociology-inclined academic if I don't have Times New Roman italic indented quotes? <laughs> the, That's what it was invented Can, can I just... just there, are other, there are other <laughs> typefaces out faces. there. No one will know We've got a whole... They make you. You don't get a choice. Like, I don't think you understand. They say, set in Times New Roman 12 points. Well, see, Inga, this is why we're doing this entire podcast. It's to educate people that there are other choices out there. <laughs> maybe we need to go on a tour of university. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> some people. So, I mean, it's a needless... Well, I don't know. Like, I love this, but I, I feel like, you know, if you have to use it, Again, you can you can learn how to use it. So, you know, you set up with more space. You uh, you use it generously, or you use it very constrictedly, right? You don't do anything it doesn't want to do. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I... thank you, David. That's actually constructive, <laughs> as opposed to judgmental. Well, I'm going to be judgmental. I'm sorry. I can't rebut anything that um, Anitra said about the typeface. I think it's a perfectly functional, sturdy typeface. If I had to characterize totally. it, I'd nominate Hugh Grant, who's forever the slightly weedy, self-effacing, stuttering, quintessential British fop. And he's the perfect foil for the other more overtly quirky characters in Four Weddings and a Funeral. But, I mean, even by Notting Hill, you're thinking, what does she even see in this guy? I don't know. I think Hugh Grant's prettier than Times New Roman. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> It's just that it's just more that it's that cliche. It's just a cliche. It's a default. It's yeah. a default cliche. But you it's know, a default. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've talked a bit about our feelings. Overall impression, best worst feature of Times New Roman. Anitra, you go first. Well, in just my type, Simon Garfield calls Times New Roman chilly and traditional, and I think that's the best description mm-hmm. I've heard of its visual effect. He also mentions Kanar, Kanari, whatever his name is. Anyway, dude who designed Comic Sans. And he once said Comic Sans was successful because it's sometimes better than Times New Roman. Oh. Wow. <laughs> See, we should, I should have prepared you, David. The burns come thick and fast in this episode. We, we kind of need to, we get to a point where we need to rush Times New Roman to the emergency. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's been I'll help it out. Don't worry. Okay, okay. <laughs> So, I mean, I also think the italic is terrible. I looked up why I think that, because it's sort of an embodied response. It's something sometimes yep. designers, are, we can't sort of unpick it in words very well. It's more like a feeling. 
which is why we talk about fillings. It's actually wider than normal italics. So the theory mm-hmm. is that it filled up the same space as the Romans. So that would have made calculating how many words that editorial could actually have to fill up that space. And then you'd be told to cut a certain amount of yep. words, right? So it makes it easier to do. And that sounds like something Stanley Morrison would have done. All right. Well, David, what's what's your overall impression of Times New Roman? You know, when I think about this typeface, I think about Suzanne Licko's quote of, we read best what we read most. So this is a default typeface that many people are used to seeing. Yep. I think that as a general consumer, you don't really see the fine details, which is why, you know, it's used for academia. Um, so, you know, in that case, I think it, it has some merit in that it's become a typeface that's become ubiquitous, yep. kind of like Helvetica. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's a typeface that you can use well if you use it with constraints and you use it with some knowledge. Wow. That's a very measured and, can I say, yeah. impressive. Yeah, right. Because, exactly. uh, and now, now I'm going to come up with my weak response, which was that as a designer, I feel like Times New Roman is the equivalent of training wheels. You use them while you have to and then you don't. But I'm kind of... I'm moving towards David's side. You're not wrong, You're not wrong David. Try it. Make it a challenge. A challenge yeah. yourself and make it look beautiful, right? Yeah. 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 You're actually making me look at it in a new light. Now I'm thinking, oh, maybe I need to just ride better. Ooh. Maybe it's more about you, uh, No, hang on. Let's not get personal. All right. Well, no, actually, let's Therapy. get personal. Let's get right into it and throw all caution to the wind and talk about whether we should or shouldn't have a relationship with this typeface. Anitra. Well, it's a non-choice, really, isn't it? I mean, Times New Roman is a typeface that you get sent the copy in and then you make it into something more interesting. Right. So I'm going to go with what Butterick said. If you have a choice about using Times New Roman, please stop. I, I do take David's point, yeah, though. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, I take David's point as well. And sort of getting back to what we were saying with Inga, I mean, I appreciate the history and the intention behind a typeface like Times New Roman. But when it comes to choices, there are simply many other fonts that I'd rather use. And as David said, mm-hmm. I think Times New Roman has become generic, a bit like Helvetica. You could say it's become a victim of its own success. And I'd actually be a bit concerned about what other people might think if I was designing with it. Which is something that every designer worries about all the time. Yeah, what are other designers going to It think sounds about harsh, but yeah. I feel, despite what David said, and he's made some good points, it's the <laughs> font you choose when you aren't confident about what you're doing. And that's precisely mm-hmm. because it's reliable and dependable and unchallenging. Yeah, it's a workhorse. Anything you want to add, David? Yeah, I think just how the italics are pretty gnarly. Right. So are the numbers, right? They're, they're pretty... Oh, yeah, so yeah. For, for me, it'd be like a boring... I'd be like, it'd be a boring date. Well, we're into our final section, kiss, kill, date or marry. We talk about whether we want to be with this typeface or not. Is it a one-time thing? Do you just go out with it occasionally? Do you never use it? Or do you use it so much you worry about yourself? David, you said that you might date it occasionally? So I'd say it's a boring date. Yeah. Um, just because it's so ubiquitous. Like you have to, you encounter it at some point, even an email, right? It's just there. Date. Like a blind date, maybe, that some well-meaning, well-meaning person set you up with who doesn't really know you that well, says... And they're a perfectly yeah. nice yeah, person. Yeah, but you're but like, you're I can't like, see nah, a future yeah. <laughs> You can't see yeah. a future, no. It's the one that you have the drinks and you don't go to dinner with afterwards. <laughs> Times New Roman doesn't even drink. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you're right. How do you feel about it? Well, it's more like family, right? Ooh. 
it's around all the time. Mm-hmm. You hardly notice its personality anymore. <laughs> I'm upsetting my sister looking at it. You're stuck with it. You know, it's just going to be there. It's like, obviously not our family. Inga yeah. just goes without okay. saying, yeah. Well, I, I kind of think of it as a Sunset Boulevard scenario as an analogy. And I know, Anitra, you haven't seen the film. Maybe David has. But, you know, it's basically faded movie star locked up in a, her mansion and just doesn't end well. Thinks she's going to be relevant at some point again. And it just is never going to happen. So, I don't know. So that that's your relationship. You're what, what the the is it a butler or her? Well, she's got a butler that that keeps her protected. I don't want to go down too far this analogy. Right, <laughs> right so you're the butler. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like there's a young guy who stumbles into the house, and she thinks that he's going to come and rescue her and, and create a sort of second career for her in the film industry. Right. And it just is never. It's never going to happen. She's a kind of slightly batty, faded old movie star. And I feel like maybe Times New Roman is a bit like that. Like it's always edging out into the spotlight again, but it gets sucked back by the reality that no one really wants to touch it with a barge pole. I just want to know whether you're the butler or the young man. Let's just go for the young man. I'm the young man. I'm the young man. The butler's creepy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think we better wrap this up because it's probably turning into a therapy session for me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right thanks for listening everyone these were our feelings and opinions about typefaces we're interested in yours you can email us on the address in the show notes you can leave us a review in apple Podcasts, please that would be lovely you can rate us and make the pod easier to find you can join us with a question or opinion or your feelings on times new roman if you wish a great way to do that is to record at our speakpipe page we'd love to hear from you you can find us on at the type pod on instagram Jason, you can, can email me at email? Uh, designsleuth at yahoo.com. I'm at anichanot on all the things and also at anichaland.com. And where can people find you, David? On Instagram, my handle is davyspee, S-P-E-E. Where you can also see lovely pictures of your dog, Ava. <laughs> Producer Inga is at Thesis Whisperer on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks um, for joining us at, at such short notice, David, as well, for a second episode. It was really great having you. And uh, hopefully you... Yeah, you, this has been wonderful. Hopefully you didn't feel too much put on by uh, us ganging up on Times New Roman. I think you did a great no, job. I felt like I had to. You did a great job of being a champion for it. So thank you. I felt like I had to be here to defend its honour. <laughs> Otherwise, we got completely trashed by you all. <laughs> so it's fate. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, thanks, David. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.